Father, thank you for coming near, for being Emmanuel, God with us. How can we even begin to comprehend such immense privilege of God taking up residence on earth, becoming a baby, coming in the likeness of men, so that you might experience death on a cross, you might rise again from the grave, and you might offer your people life, life eternal through faith in Jesus. And Lord, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be active in the hearts of your people, that you would stir within us an awakening, that we as your people would come to really understand and appreciate how high and how broad and how long your love is for us and that it might lead us to loving you and seeking to represent you well and faithfully in this world. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work to convict hearts of those who do not know you as their Savior. And as we become acquainted again this morning with the wonder of your coming, I pray that you might come into the hearts of those who have never trusted you, that they might know you for the first time through faith in Christ. You might lead them to repentance. You might lead them to new life and that they might experience Christmas in a whole new way. So Lord, I pray for your presence to be known through your word that you would have your way in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I woke up this morning feeling great. Um, I thought everything was good and then about four and a half hours after I woke up and uh, started making my way to the church, I gave my first oral uh, um, encouragement of the day and realized I don't have a voice, so <laughs> forgive me. I, f- I feel great, but uh, um, it's gonna be a labor of, uh, of love this morning as we look into the word. Your, your love for me as you put up with the, the brokenness of, of my voice. For the past year, we have been coming to a place of, of acquaintance, is that the word? Of reminder, of appreciation for the glory of God. We have defined glory in this way. We have said that glory is the manifestation of his presence that is there in your notes, and um, we'll put it up on the screen in just a moment. We say that glory is the manifestation of his presence and and manifestation is just a big word for display. We like big displays, right? We like big screens. (laughs) And God has written his glory across the heavens. The psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. God desires to make himself known to you. God has done what it takes to show up in this world so that it is unmistakable that he exists. We find throughout the entirety of the the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the ways in which God has sought to make himself known, not only through creation itself, but also through Revelation. Revelation. 
Revelation of himself through his word. Revelation of himself through his people. And we, those of us who have come to faith in Jesus, who have come to the place of recognizing that our sin separates us from God. For we have all sinned and fallen short of what, church? Glory. And yet, God came near invites us into relationship through his son, Jesus Christ, who accomplished it all for you. His son, Jesus, fulfilled the entirety of the law, every jot and tittle. That's what he says in Matthew. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he did that through Jesus. So that when Jesus died on the cross, his payment could be in your place could be in my place. Because we recognize from Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages, the penalty for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you experienced the glory of God today? Have you come to the place where you just, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ has shone into your heart and life? It has captured your attention. We've said, been captured by glory in that you have come to the place of recognizing there is nothing that you can do to merit eternal life. There is nothing that you can do to gain favor with God apart from Jesus Christ, apart from faith in him. Have you come to the place of seeing and savoring the glory of God? If you have then you can be part of God's plan of shining his glory into the world. <laughs> what, a, what an incredible privilege that we have. Second Corinthians, we, we started our, our year out with Second Corinthians chapter four and chapter three. And, and look what we see in chapter three, verse 18. It says, and we all, speaking to those people who are of faith, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Did you get that? Transformed into the same image, meaning when people see you, they see Jesus in you. They see the glory of God in you, not your glory. Here's what happens. This transformation process is from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, Glory was never meant to be concealed. The glory of God was meant to be shown. It shines in the heavens and it shines through his people. Are you faithfully being transformed from one degree of glory to the other as the Holy Spirit is working to transform your life so that you can shine his glory wherever you are? What an incredible privilege that we have as God's people to shine glory, the glory of God, but the fullest and clearest and greatest expression of the glory of God, the the greatest peak at the, the actual essence and nature and character of God himself came in the person of Jesus Christ. Glory showed up. And the, the apostle John talks about it in John 1.14 when he says, And the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus came, he didn't just show his personality. He came to shine every dimension of God into the hearts and lives of people. So the writer to the Hebrews puts it this way. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you know Jesus today? Have you come to taste and enjoy the glory of God? You know, I come to Christmas time and there are so many things I absolutely love. You know, you look around the stage, you see the hard work that's been done to decorate and uh, the, the beautiful flowers, the poinsettias that are here, the, the hard work that has been done to, just to help us enjoy the, the beauty and appreciate the wonder of the Christmas holiday. And, uh, and you know, we have that, that childlike uh, longing for Christmas Day, right? Where we get to, what did mommy and daddy get for me? The, the, the enthusiasm and the, the spectacle of Christmas and all the, the wonder of the day. And for those of us who are older, just the, the enjoying the reunion with families and time around the table and sitting and just enjoying fellowship with one another. It's so easy to miss the glory, isn't it? All the good things that we enjoy on Christmas and it's so easy to forget why we actually celebrate this holiday. For the next three weeks, I wanna draw our attention to the Gospel of Luke. I want us to see the glory of God as it shows up in the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And while the Gospel of Luke doesn't necessarily mention the word glory, it is written across the narrative as the word of God who has made flesh and dwelt among us came to shine his glory. We see the nature of God. We see the character of God. We see the compassion of God, the humility, humility of God. How is that? We see it all in the person of Jesus Christ. It's my prayer as we walk our way through this familiar story that we're acquainted again with the the amazing significance of the person of Jesus and all that he came to do for his people in shining glory. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, in the Pew Bible, I think it's page 855, the Gospel of Luke. The reason why I encourage you to, to turn to the Scripture is so you can see it to your, for yourselves and, and we'll try to keep you from getting tripped up by having some of the supporting passages on the screen. But, but, but in the text, we want you to be able to, to see it and know that, that it's the word of God that, that bears authority. Not the voice of the preacher, but the voice of the word of God spoken through his prophet. 
Beginning in verse five, I want you to know that God's glory shines despite world events. God's glory shines despite world events. We see this particularly in verses five and six. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. As we look at this story, what may not necessarily jump out at us as those who are removed from this scene by 2,000 years would have been something like a death knell in the hearts and minds and ears of the first century Jew. Those opening words in the days of Herod, king of Judea, would have come as a, as a, uh, a dagger in the heart of those who were Jewish in every way and, and were thinking about the promises of God to the people and, and wondering what was out of step, what was broken about us as a people that we should be governed by this, this Gentile. Herod the Great was officially designated king of the Jews. Now that should sound familiar. About 40 BC, Herod is the, the first and best known of the Herods in the New Testament. Herod's family was, um, he was an Edomite by lineage which means that he was a descendant of Esau. And so going all the way back to, to the beginning of, of Isaac, uh, Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac having two sons, Esau and Jacob, we see from that the command of God to Isaac and his sons that the older, who was Esau, should serve the younger. That's the way it was supposed to be. And here, everything is upside down where the king of the Jews, Herod, who was an Edomite, is now the one who's ruling and exercising authority over his younger brother, as it were. The Jews would have been not only uh, gripped by the oppression they felt from the Roman Empire, but especially insulted at the fact that this man, Herod, being an Edomite, a descendant of Esau, was the one who was actually put in charge of them. Now Herod sought to gain favor with uh, the Jews in, in many different ways, and, and one of the ways in which he did that was by marrying into a prominent Jewish family. Another way that he did this, and we'll see uh, a picture of the, the temple during the first century, Herod's temple, we'll see that in just a, a little bit, he endeared himself to the people by spending over 40 years seeking to build this massive edifice in the center of Jerusalem so the Jews could worship in the way that they were called to worship. But as you know from the account of Matthew's gospel, Herod was not um, a peaceful figure. When the, when the wise men came to see uh, who was he who was born king of the Jews and they're searching him out, they find out that he would be in Bethlehem and at that point, Herod decided he was going to, to make sure that he didn't have any competition. So he eliminated and destroyed all of the babies in Bethlehem region who were two years and younger. He was a barbaric figure. He was one who murdered his wife 
or brother or mother and his own sons. He was a vicious murderer. These were dark days in the land of Israel. Is there anything possible that can come in the midst of dark days? Not only were they dark days in terms of of world empires and oppression that the people felt, they were also dark days as it related to to hearing and, and receiving the revelation of God himself. It had been 400 years since the people had, had received any direct revelation from God through the voice of a prophet. They must have wondered, is God distant? Does God care? Does God see the plight of his people? Will God honor his promises to us? Of course, God is gonna show up in the darkest times despite world events. I wonder for us this morning, as we're living in what seems to be very dark times, do you ever wonder or get to the point where where you think, is God really in control? Does God really care? Should we just throw up our hands and throw in the towel because it seems like God has nothing to do with our world today? Is there anything that that we can accomplish? Is there anything that God is is seeking to to do in this world? Should we just give up hope? We have this sky is falling mentality. But I want you to know that through the course of history, God delights in showing up in the darkest times. God delights in showing up when all hope is gone. He does that because he wants to demonstrate that he is the one who, alone, who is able to save. The prophet Isaiah, about 700 years before this time in Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, speaks about such times when he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light is shown. It's not until we recognize the darkness that that may be even seeming to be oppressive at times. It's not until we come to grips with darkness that we can even cherish light. And that's when light begins to dawn for God's people, when the darkness seems oppressive and too hard to overcome. But there's only one way in which the light may come, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. Notice the prophet continues, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord will do this. God will accomplish his purposes. There are no obstacles that can get in his way. There's no power that can overcome his purposes in this world. No hopelessness that can destroy. God will step in and he delights in coming in the darkest of times. God will accomplish his purposes. His glory shines in despite world events. As we continue to move on, we see the glory of God continuing 
in the lives of now uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. The, the focus now begins to turn from the situation in which the, the Jews were living now to the beginnings of hope and how God is going to fulfill and accomplish his purposes in the world. We see here in verses five to seven again that God's glory shines despite past heartache. God's glory shines despite past heartache. Look at this with me again. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now dropping down to verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. You can hear the hopelessness and the heartache that is mingled with joy in Zechariah's words. From a human standpoint, Zechariah and Elizabeth had everything going for them. Zechariah, whose name means Yahweh has remembered, and Elizabeth, who, whose name means God is my oath. Here they are from the right family. They're of the right stock, the right heritage. Zechariah was of the line of Abijah. Now, even in this statement, there is a, a glimmer of the, of the dysfunction that was taking place, of the brokenness in Israel. Abijah was one of 24 different divisions of priests that, that David had put together to serve in the temple in this way, of, of going in for the morning and evening sacrifice in order to burn incense before the Lord which symbolized the prayers of, uh, of the people to, to, to God. But as we went through our time in Ezra and Nehemiah, we saw that only four out of the 24 divisions of priests actually made it back from captivity. And so whether Zechariah was actually from the tribe or from the lineage of Abijah, or whether he was just assigned to the order of the priest of Abijah, we don't know. But here he is serving. Clearly a descendant of Aaron. Clearly his credentials were such that he could stand in the holy place before the holy of holies and offer prayers of the people on behalf of the people, of, uh, on behalf of the people to God in the holy place. He had the right credentials. Elizabeth also was a descendant of Aaron. Apart from the lineage of David, there was no other lineage that was more coveted than the lineage of Aaron. They were also righteous before God. Notice, walking blamelessly in all the commandments. Their lives were approved. Their lives were exemplary. They were devout, not sinless, but, ab but above reproach. Their, their lives demonstrated a consistency a quality of reverence and faith and purity. In, in, in every way, as, as God was evaluating their life, they met the standard. Of course, they weren't sinless, but there was a, a measure of devotion and consistency that played out in their service to the Lord. But there was a problem, wasn't there? A major problem in first century living. We find in verse seven, but they had no children. 
And that would have been a, a, a dagger in and of itself. But then the hope had, had all but evaporated in this last phrase, and both were advanced in years. The time of fruitfulness and childbearing was over, even from a physical standpoint. They had no children. Elizabeth was barren. Zechariah and Elizabeth had certainly prayed for years. We find an indication of that in verse 18. They had honored God through obedient lives. But God had been silent up to this point, which must have been devastating, especially in first century culture, when children were actually a a way to, to demonstrate alignment to the commandments of God. The favor of God, it's, it appeared at least, was not on their life. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 4 and 11, lay out for us the, the benefits, the blessings of obedience to the law, and also the curses for those who disobey. Notice, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Verse four, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb. And repeat it again in verse 11, and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb. So by implication, those women who could not bear children were cut off from God. Those women in first century culture who were known as barren, who were shut off in a way as it it seemed by the perception of the people, the favor of God was not on their life. What I love about this couple is it didn't keep them from blamelessness. It didn't keep them from faith. It didn't keep them from prayer. It didn't keep them from serving God even in their hopelessness. Here we find again Zechariah taking his turn, serving in the temple, willing to do the service for God that he had been called to. We find that they were old. Humanly speaking, they were advanced in years. And yet God was gonna show up in the midst of heartache. I wonder if you like Zachariah and Elizabeth, have experienced a measure of heartache. That you felt like you've done everything that God expected you to do and things are just not working out. You have pleaded with God in your prayers. You have served the Lord faithfully. You have, you have given of your gifts and tithes. You have sought to know God from his word. You have diligently shared Christ with the world around you. You have been the kind of husband or wife or child that God has called you to be and yet things are not working out for you. You faced some heartache. Maybe the diagnosis that has come from the doctor that is making, gonna make things very difficult for you for the, for the years to come. Maybe losing that job and the, the income that you had is, is going to evaporate and you're, you're wondering how you're gonna put the pieces together uh, the conflict that you might be facing in one of your relationships and, and you see that in some ways it feels irreconcilable. There's heartache that you've experienced. But God's glory can shine through past heartache. God delights in showing up when all hope is gone 
as you continue to pour out yourself to him and look to him for hope. God, more than anything, wants to give you himself. He doesn't always make things better, but he always gives you himself. He always allows you to, to move another day as his grace shows up for you on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. Are you looking to God to help you when your heart is burdened and struggling? We find in verses eight to 25, we see that God's glory shines through divine initiative. God's glory shines through divine initiative. And this should all give us a measure of an encouragement this morning that God's glory is not dependent upon you. That God comes and shines his glory by his own initiative, by his own will, his own purposes. And God is interested in the world coming to understand his glory, to see his glory, and to celebrate his glory. He will shine in the midst of this world. Verses 8 and 9. Now, while he was serving, speaking of Zechariah, as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. We find that Zechariah was chosen by lot. Now, this is is a significant privilege. There were some 18,000 priests that were in Jerusalem, that were in Israel during that time. And only one person a day that, that could serve on behalf of the people to go into the temple and to present this incense before the Lord. For your name to be called up would be like winning the lottery. <laughs> and God, by divine initiative, ensures that when the lot is cast, it would land on this man, Zechariah, at just the right time. God had a message to send to Zechariah. God had a divine plan to put into work. God was working that plan by allowing Zechariah to move into the temple. We see in verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him, appeared to Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Gabriel appears to Zechariah and says, Your prayer has been answered. Why deliver this message in the temple? Why not come to Zechariah and Elizabeth like Gabriel would come to Mary, privately in her home? 
What was the significance of Zechariah being in the place, the holy place, standing before the Lord, representing the people before God in prayer? It was because God had a greater purpose than just giving a son. God had a greater purpose than just helping to encourage an old uh, uh, man and woman in their disappointment and heartache. God would come in the, the middle of the, the, the difficulties of culture, in the, the barrenness of prophetic, prophetic vision, and God would deliver this message of redemption to his sweet priest and, and servant, Zechariah. Gabriel states the reason. Your prayers have been answered, and not just for a son, but your prayers for a Messiah, your prayers for a deliverer, your prayers for a redeemer and a savior are culminating into one request and one answer that John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah, would be your son, John. The delay, which must have seemed a bad thing, will result in one of the most amazing answers to prayer you could have ever known. This prayer will be answered in a, full, in a fuller and richer sense in that John the Baptist as a son would be the forerunner of the Redeemer. Redemption of Israel was finally on its way. And your wife, he says, your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You shall call his name John. John, which means Yahweh has been gracious, and certainly he had. He had been gracious to this couple Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he was gracious to his people in not forgetting them. You will have joy and gladness, he says in verse 14, and many will rejoice at his birth. Notice as you walk your way through this passage, the divine initiative of God, the promise of God that will find fulfillment. Verse 13, you will bear a son. Verse 13, you will call his name John. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness. Verse 14, many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15, he will be great before the Lord. Verse 15, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, he will go before him in the power and the spirit of Elijah. God will do it. God's initiative, God's promise, and God's divine activity in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth to accomplish his purposes. It, it, it must have sounded familiar in a way to Zechariah to know that redemption comes out of the, in the midst of hopelessness because Sarah, Abraham's husband, or Abraham, Abraham's wife had been barren. Uh, Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah had been barren. Jacob and Rachel. Rachel had been barren. The testimony of God to his people is that redemption and salvation comes in the midst of heartache and comes through the work of God alone. God will accomplish his purposes and nothing can stand in his way. Here we find this resounding testimony that God will accomplish in the same way. 
the power of God at work, the initiating divine handiwork of God in accomplishing his purposes in the midst of impossibilities. And he does it in a spectacular way by opening this barren, dead womb of Elizabeth. In verse 18, Zechariah hears this this message, it must have resounded in his ears with sweetness and encouragement, but also wonder. He says, Zechariah says to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. How will I know? What sign will you give to me? He says, verse 19, the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe in my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And we gotta give Zechariah some credit because in the first century mindset Promises were always accompanied by signs. That's why Peter in his sermon in Acts chapter two says, Jesus, a man attested to you by signs and wonders which you saw. It, it, it isn't out of the bounds of, of Zechariah to, to ask for God to confirm, but he, he probably should have known better. Here, here is the angel of God standing in, the, in his presence in the holy place. And because he chose not to believe, his sign was silence. His sign was meditation. Thinking, pondering, wondering about this promise that God would perform for him and for his wife and for the people. I wonder this morning, what words of truth has God given to us that we choose not to believe? It's easy to pass judgment on Zechariah. It's easy to say, he should have known better. What else could you ask for than an angel in a message from God's messenger to you directly? And yet we have the same thing. We have the the message of God through his word, the the very words of God given to us, the very promises, promises of God that have been confirmed throughout the ages. And yet, we find ourselves so many times in disbelief. When God says, I'll be your friend that sticks closer than a brother. I will be the one who provides for your needs according to the riches of my glory in Christ Jesus. He says, don't worry about your life, what you're gonna put on, what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna drink, because the Gentiles worry about all those things but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God says, I'm the God of all comfort. I'll comfort you with the comfort that comes from God. God says that he wants to give to us the peace, and we saw a couple of weeks ago that the God of all grace is the one who will confirm and perfect and establish and settle you. This morning, as we wrap up our time together, we'll, we'll finish the other two points next week. I wanna just end with, with the, this question, the question of what 
words of truth this morning from God's word have registered in your ears and maybe are secure in your mind but haven't made it its way to your heart. How might you this holiday season demonstrate a settledness, uh, a confidence in the truths of God to accomplish his purposes in this world in spite of how topsy-turvy things may seem to be? how broken and fractured things might be in the the spheres in which you work, the spheres in which you live? Is there a dedication, a passion in your heart to seek the Lord and to invite him into your life and to ask him to accomplish his will in you and through you so that his glory might be made known? May God help us this week in this holiday season, this Christmas, as we seek to let the glory of God transform us from one degree of glory to the other. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you have set your glory in the heavens, that we can not only see it and appreciate it and wonder at it, but that you also sent the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth so that we can know it and enjoy it and experience it personally. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as their Savior, who has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that you would do that work, begin that work today in their life. And through this holiday season of Christmas, may we not be distracted by all the spectacle of this season, but may we be caught up with the wonder of God. We pray in your name, amen. If there's anyone here this morning that would like to have someone pray for them, maybe there's a burden that you're carrying and you would just like to have one of uh, the staff or the leaders just lift it up before the Lord, we would love to do that for you. Um, We do have pizza with the pastors that's happening in about a half an hour from now. If you are new to the church and haven't gotten to meet uh, the pastors yet, We have pizza, plenty of pizza. We would invite you to be part of that. Thanks for coming this morning. God bless you this week as you go.